0: Welcome to Cross of Gold, the podcast where two brothers, one a Christian in the political wilderness, and the other a socialist in the spiritual wilderness, work to rediscover faith in each other, our communities, and the American experiment.
1: We have faith, and they have walked when our calamity came. We begged no longer. We defy them. You shall not press down upon the proud labor, this crown of thorns.
0: Hey, everybody, this is Cyrus, uh, your host, as usual, Um, just me today in the intro. Uh, Chase has some family in town, so he's making some time for them, Uh, but he will be with us in the body of the uh, episode as we interview Joel Richards, a uh, now candidate for Boston City Council District 4. Uh, just recently endorsed by the Boston DSA, so congratulations, Joel. But he's many other things than that. He's a teacher. He's a union organizer. He's an activist. He's a minister. Um, and we have a really fascinating conversation uh, that you know I think for both Chase and I you know, gave us uh, gave us a lot to think about over the last couple of weeks. And that uh, stuff that we will talk uh, that we have been thinking about, we will talk about in uh, the outro to. The second episode, second part of this interview that we'll be releasing later in the week. Uh, So until then, just enjoy this interview with Joel and uh, talk to you later. We are here with Joel Richards, a public school teacher, labor organizer, Black Lives Matter at school leader with a ministry giving pastors a rest and a break when they've been uh, hard at it. And he is now a candidate for Boston City Council District 4. With me, as always, is my co-host, Chase, and thanks for uh, joining us, Joel. How are you doing today? Man, I'm doing great. I'm, I'm
2: excited about this. Yes, I'm excited about this. Uh, two, intersectionality has become a popular word in our, <laughs> in our culture. So uh, anywhere we can meet intersectionality and actually talk about it in depth is exciting.
3: Yeah, Joel, I'm on my heels because we interviewed Russ a few weeks ago, and I called him a unicorn because from the West and the South, I... Uh, You know, it's getting a socialist or Christian or a leftist Christian. It just blows people's minds and frameworks if possible. So to see two in a row here, I just don't know what to say. So, uh, you know what? We'd love to hear a little bit more about your background, though. Anything else that you think for our listeners who have left the church or are, you know, Christians and socialists or have no clue how you are that? Anything else from your background, particularly that's interesting? Man, I'm a first generation American.
2: Both my parents immigrated here from Jamaica, uh, met here, actually. So they didn't immigrate together. They met here. I grew up in the church. Ooh. Um, but in my you know, formative years in, you know, like college and stuff, I stopped going, stopped reading. And then I went to grad school, and I actually got saved in grad
3: school. Oh, uh, so, okay, so, sorry. 27. What denomination did you grow up, and about what age do you think were, were you saved?
2: I was 27 when I got saved. i remember the day so um yeah i was in the basement of a baptist church that's like the first time my mind remembers hearing the gospel Mm -hmm. um and then my whole life was rocked and different from there um i was a very different person than i would be now there'd be no way i'd be running for office or have a family or any of those type of things those weren't my mindset that's trans you know they sometimes say what you have to hold on to for faith is your transformation yeah. Um, and so, seeing my my transformation over time really uh, is, is been a testament to myself uh, for more faith.
3: And so, that's that's uh, that's that's a great just question. A quick follow up: a lot of Christians who would probably, unfortunately, be suspicious of your Christianity and your your uh, conversion. Can you maybe one thing that was really different? You think before, or after, for you um, finding I Jesus?
2: Just, I give you that. I hated homeless people. I thought Ooh. they were like a scourge on society. Uh, they were annoying. They'd my time. Um, even talking about it, I get nauseous thinking that at one time I had that feeling ugh, of towards those type of people. Um, where now I can't even carry cash. They ask me, they're getting it. Um, they're getting food, <laughs> right? Like there's so uh, a totally
3: new compassion. Sounds like
2: yeah, right. There's no way <laughs> that I like I could see someone suffering or hurting like that and then blame them for
0: their condition. I, this is nowhere in the word, but I keep reading. So it sort of sounds like it was uh, a little bit of like of an ego shift, um, you know, centering, you know, beforehand, before that transformation, it was, you know, your focus was centered on your, you know, own ego. I don't want to put words in your mouth or color your background, but, and then afterwards, you know, it was more of a di- redistribution of that.
2: Yeah. So if you, the question, um, the chase asked about like what churches I grew up in, I grew up in a very like, um, like prosperity kind of, and then conservative Christian word of faith, charismatic kind of churches. Um, mm. so I kind of feel like those kind of breed that because you kind of base your, your righteousness on success mm. or what you've accomplished, what you've accomplished, Ooh. uh, instead of the change when I became an actual, like when I became a Christian was like, Oh, everything I have is a gift. If I'm not in the same place they are, that's only cause God willed it. Um, and when you come to that conclusion, you start to refocus on what do I have these gifts or privileges or abilities to do, right? Do they belong to me? Um, or do they belong to the people I'm supposed to be helping? Yeah. And, then, uh, you actually start reading the Bible when you become a Christian and it's like, what you do for the least of the, you do for me, um, uh, and to take that charge up every time I help a, a person who's less fortunate than me. Um, you know, even though our society has taken away that word. Remember at one time we used to say that a lot? Less fortunate, less fortunate. Now we just call them homeless or poor or uh, <laughs> right. yeah, uh, our, our working class or like other we call we have all these terms, third world, or like all these terms
0: really takes created. the idea of luck out of the equation at all. Right, right, right. Pretty right, insane.
2: Right. Or every time you go on Instagram or Facebook, someone's telling you, I just worked so hard. That's why I got here. Um that's not true. Right? Yeah. You ever, dig- yeah. <laughs> you ever seen someone take a ditch? <laughs> They're working hard. Uh, so the the fact that your hard work amounted to something is a gift from God. And once you have that perspective shift, it kind of breaks your heart. It just makes you look at
0: people totally different. Did that inform your decision to work in public schools? Or was that sort of a decision that you'd already undertaken and it sort of transformed the way you approached that?
2: I kind of, no, man. So I will say before I became a Christian, I would have been an incredibly conservative money grubbing. <laughs> the best way to describe it, you ever watch Star Trek? I was just a Ferengi, right? I was all about the money. <laughs> right. I was, just, I was all about like schemes and plans, right? I was just gonna use being a teacher just to make a higher salary so I could you know own a franchise. That's always awesome. my degree. if you ask me information about how to own a franchise or how to like how that process works, I could just rattle it off to you. That was like my obsession, right? Mm-hmm. Like I thought once I get this restaurant, I'm free if I get to like uh, five guys or McDonald's, I'm free, like, you know, and I like
3: <laughs> a quick insertion though. If we're going to throw those guys out there, I just ate at a waffle house this morning. God will it in my future at some point to own a waffle house.
2: If, if I could, I don't know about how, how large I would be. I'm going to get my potatoes chopped. <laughs> 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 Eat my mushrooms in there. Right. <laughs> uh, so it's good, it's good yeah, yeah. and So yeah, everyone loves a waffle house and, um, well, everyone's everyone who's been there. Um, That's right. But I felt like, I don't know, I was good at teaching because I was a natural ability. But what was it going to be used for? And then God has used teaching where I teach to totally shape me and break my heart even further for the plight of his people, um, which are the least of these. Um, and so this is why I'm running. Right, um, you know, like my big three is education, small business, and housing, because I see that's what greatly affects the students that I've had in the environments that I've had. Um, housing that is not affordable, unstable housing, constantly moving. This is a part of poverty that a lot of people don't talk about: is it having stable housing. So if you don't have stable housing, you're just not going to be a good student. And then if you don't, if you're not a good student, it's going to be harder just to ascend in life. Right? There's no guarantees well, let's take away uh, your ability to read and do math well. There's a lot, it's a lot more barriers or um, impediments to being successful.
0: Yeah, I felt all, like education is probably the most obvious example of how all these social problems are so interconnected. Um, you know, I think people look at the public school system or, you know, failing, quote unquote, failing public schools and cities. And they say, oh, they use that as an example of, Oh, look, look what happens when you give the government responsibility over something or, you know, you give. But in reality, that's totally discounting the fact that, you know, all the social programs that used to hold those things up or the social networks and community systems that used to hold those things up just don't exist anymore. You know, things like access to affordable housing, things like access to good infrastructure, grocery stores, water, you know, all that stuff. Mm So is that when you started to be, you know, involved in the teachers union?
2: So yeah definitely there's there's when it comes to oppression it comes on all levels right very rarely do they just oppress the people on the bottom they usually oppress the people serving those people too and mm-hmm. i i see the teachers union i see a union as the last line of defense when it comes to education right that's the last thing holding this system together you only have decent schools because the workers can go to get together and be like, hey, there's rats in my school, right? <laughs> You've never cleaned the vents, right? Like you're <laughs> not giving these kids books. If those teachers don't have that power, then there's no way to advocate for the profession or for the students, right? So without that kind of like unification, right, you're leaving people without power at the total, <laughs> just like, I guess the word is like, at their the behest or the grace of the system, uh, right? And we we've seen over and over again that doesn't work out very
0: well yeah yeah the uh the people who are in charge of making those decisions about the amount of resources that schools get if left to their own devices would just give them as little as uh, possible or nothing so you know it's teachers are really seem to be the only real advocates and parents but you know that's that's kind of its own well, parents are unified. Like yeah one thing yeah. though
3: that like is commonly on the other side though and this is me trying to explore and we've certainly heard this from my dad i've certainly said this Uh, Joel, so full, you know, confession here is that um, we'd certainly want to spend more money if the more if more money would make a greater impact. But sometimes we see or hear horror stories of money being wasted. And so then there's this discussion of, well, you know, can we reallocate some funds from things that aren't as uh, productive to things that aren't? Um, Where do you guys where do you land on the reallocation versus, you know, spending more and, and what sort of informs that for you?
2: Now, I, I don't believe in the term reallocation anymore because then you're just pitting one group against another. I believe mm-hmm. in allocation, right? So we actually do know what works in schools because we see it in the suburbs every day. Um, we see it in, in, within urban schools, within urban settings, when the majority of the students are actually taken care of or look like the people that are in power. Um, so we know teacher ratios is what works, Right. There shouldn't be 35 kids to one student in any setting, in any grade, right, from K to 8. But we continuously see that, right? I feel like it's very hard to pay people when you don't care about the people, right? If you go to a suburban school, man, there's so many teachers it's ridiculous, right? There's teachers everywhere, right? There's um, there's staff everywhere. There's there's clubs and there's a, a an athletic director and a football coach who's just a full time football coach, right? And then well, you're talking coaches.
3: to somebody who lives in Texas. You bet right, your right. bottom. There's a full time football yeah, coach, right?
2: Yeah. Right? 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 And you know, like I live in Boston. We have one athletic director for the whole city.
3: And so the wait whole a second. City? So that so wait. So there's not an athletic director <laughs> per school?
2: No, there's not even teams per school. <laughs>
3: Yeah, so real kind of, real administrative blow there yeah, well, yeah, so yeah. well so that's that that is a question because that's that's one thing from my own personal experience having been in you know the student government having seen layers of hierarchy in administration I've that's that's my hunch and that's what sort of my you know what, yes so continue
2: yeah I'm just like when you think about that in a sense of what when you care about a child or when you care about a, a community what do you provide for them like you said like you bet you bet there's a football coach you bet there's a full time athletic director and the athletic director has an assistant and a secretary to make sure those clubs <laughs> and those things So those are important to kids yeah right um and so um, an important Beth- family.
3: family in yeah. Texas the football coach is very likely or the athletic director and then the like head uh, volleyball coach or the head basketball coach are your uh, pe instructors I'll uh, take that
2: I'll take that <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I'll take anything that you're saying per school. Yeah, I'll take that. So you're um, saying,
3: yeah. Okay. That's, that is surprising to me that they don't even have like what you said teams per school. Some, some schools just don't have teams. It's not organized
2: or you have the teacher, but the teacher is overworked. So they can't like, they can't, but they're
3: basically it. a sucky coach or like a, an, a, a, a,
2: or it just doesn't exist because there's no one to take charge of it. Um, So there's not a community because Boston does uh bussing and buses kids around all over the city. They don't go to school in their neighborhoods. It's a very disconjointed system.
1: Mm.
2: Like, but like what Cyrus was saying, oh, or you were even saying, Chase, that like you want to, oh, maybe we should use the money here and use the money there. No, hire more people, invest in the school and the community and let them flourish. There's nothing, there's nothing overly complex to schools, but when you want to hide behind a problem, right, you just make it complex um to so no one can figure it out yeah but like one plus one still equals two and if you can't teach kids that then what are we doing right like but it's hard to teach it when there's 22 kids in a first grade classroom um so everyone knows the appropriate ratio of student to child right everyone knows that funding is directly correlated to the success of the school right? And what does that look like? Is it more, more books or more paintings on the wall? Or is it actual more bodies in the school serving the kids, smaller class sizes, right? Everyone's always like, oh, the school's failing, maybe we should do this, do this. Listen, make my school look like the suburban schools where you actually go, where you send your kids or the private schools or the Catholic schools that you send your kids to, right? And then we'll have this conversation about what the people in the school need
3: to do. So yeah. Make them right. like that first. Yeah. I, I didn't expect you to counter with you know I want a quality and student teacher ratio because um, that's hard to argue with so that's a good all right fair <laughs> enough
0: <laughs> well I, I feel like you know people like when teachers unions are, are advocating for better treatment of their schools better funding you know a lot of people point to like oh well, well they're just asking for higher salaries or blah 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 but the reality is I mean even even I mean off, that's usually the bottom of the priority for teachers unions. But even that, oh, yeah, I don't
3: know. Yeah,
0: but, <laughs> but even that still is like a big uh, incentive to get more teachers. Like you're not just gonna be able to get anybody to be a teacher. Um, if you want to get good quality teachers, like there has to be an incentive structure for them to want to do it.
2: Right, and even in, uh, I feel like I feel like they, t- people like my teachers are asking for a half a million a year. Usually, we're just asking for a living wage, It's so an actual calculation that is done. Like, hey, this is what the average cost is. This is what the average with someone with this amount of degrees gets paid across the United States. Why wouldn't we get the same? Um, uh, We don't live off of bonuses or anything like other other uh, other jobs. So it's just like a steady, continuous uh, pay that keeps us there. Right. Because also consistency of teacher matters. Right. So you want us to be able to afford our homes and live in our neighborhoods and not leave. So um, that that's fair also. Um, but I feel like I know personally the Boston teachers union has left money on the table so we can get more, so we can get inclusion done. Right. So kids with special needs can actually get the services they need. Right. The city will pit mm-hmm. our, this, our well-being as teachers against us, right. To just do a little bit what they should be doing for students already. Um, right, setting up
0: like, like setting up false dichotomies. It's like, Oh, well, we can either give you this or we can, provide like a nurse <laughs> right
2: right 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 <laughs> which oh, you want is not the way it yeah. actually is right right you sense. want a nurse in every school well then leave five thousand dollars off the table right <laughs> and so like what if we weren't arguing for basic human necessities union argue union debates would be way less right you don't see these long drawn out arguments in the suburbs right you don't see them these long drawn out arguments at schools where the kids are are well taken care of Right. Because it's usually like, hey, man, can you give us a three percent raise the next year? Yeah. Why not? Right. We're already providing everything else. But our sticking points are usually could we get more teachers because our populations are growing. Mm-hmm. I've worked yeah, at schools is- where every cl- every class from third to fifth was over the limit that was agreed upon. So then the union has to spend hours fighting to get gre- to get paras in the classroom, to get more pay for the teachers because they have to have more students now or just to get more humans or split up another teacher hired to split up those classes. So I've worked at schools where every class is overcrowded and the union spends hours, days and months fighting with the school system, right? And, in, and these are children. Who wants a child in an overcrowded a classroom?
3: So yeah. yeah. I think that's just a, a good um, foundation just because also having been in class sizes in charter and public schools, um, and in a private school for, uh, just a few years. If you have too many kids or if there's too many Chase Capos in like high school, then you are doing, um, classroom management. You're not teaching. Um, now I do feel like that, <laughs> that sometimes can get taken advantage of, and I want to get under your, uh, into housing and some small business, but do you think unions can improve at all in a particular way? Sometimes I feel like, um, I hear or read or see of them doing things like it might be, uh, defending a teacher who, uh, shouldn't uh, be a teacher or they make chain, good change hard. Do you think there's any room for improvement for someone who's come within from unions?
2: So here's what I'll say to that. Um, and I'll, I'll put everyone else on the offensive, not the union on the defensive. As protecting workers' rights, we have seen multiple industries where if you're not protecting the rights, you're not protecting the majority of workers, mm-hmm. right? To... <laughs> I've never seen a teacher just do something like there's insubordination. If you just do something wrong, you're just totally, uh, you're totally, no one can defend you. There's no, there's no teacher's union that powerful. Um, And then three, let's go to those places without strong unions or without unions, period. Their schools are not doing better. They're actually doing worse. Uh, Go to Philadelphia where they dismantled public schools and the unions. Those schools are, are, I mean, are, are they show up and there's not even teachers or or cafeteria workers or principals right um when you when you go to memphis tennessee um where there's barely a union right those schools aren't they're they're actually doing worse right people point to boston where i where i am as a model um of education and i feel like we have a lot of work to do but the only reason we don't have as much is because of a strong union that's been here um If you think about it in this sense, a a teacher wants to go to school and be able to teach their kids. That's why you go. It's incredibly frustrating to not be able to do that. So when a union gets together, they're advocating for things that that accomplish that goal. So to say, like, where can unions improve? More involvement so we can get new leadership and, like, vote out old leadership, you know, get that that out. That's where I really feel like they could improve. Term limits, possibly, on leadership. Interesting, okay. Yeah, like, I feel like a lot of times uh, things get stale my dad would always say you need new blood. Um, so I feel like that's one of those things, um, that keep moving forward, but I feel like, I don't feel like it's on the union. I feel like it's on the cities and the governments and the mayors and the, the governors that are running the schools. If they improve schools, then you could say like, Hey, all right, union, what are you going to do now? You got think in LA, those teachers, um, took to the streets because their schools were falling apart i i, I taught summer school in a school i was like man what's that smell that's, that's not safe <laughs> for kids that's not safe and they were like what you talking about it's always there it's been there since i've been here since kindergarten i'm like well like these are the conditions <laughs> that can't be good. right right like these are the conditions like you go into a bathroom and the stalls there's only been one bathroom working for,
1: for uh,
3: years, yeah
2: for years so and that's just facilities let's not even talk about like curriculum and, and the amount of teachers in the school but I'm just saying like it's hard when you have such a huge disparity in funding huge disparity in in providing education for uh, let's let's just name it people of color and you want to put it on the union that's that's ridiculous that's uh mm. <laughs> that's that's like um if you showed up to NASCAR with a uh, Toyota forerunner And blamed it on the pit crew, right? Why aren't we winning? (laughs) Right, right, like, uh, because that other car has nine hundred horsepower and we have twenty, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, there is, there's this, there's this, yeah. So that's enough. I I
3: think, I think that example will play in the South. We, you know what? I I,
2: I, I show up. I heard the voice. You said Texas. Yeah, no, yeah.
3: People show (laughs) up with NASCAR, you know, memorabilia (laughs) things at church. Got it.
0: I got. Uh, uh, well, I, that, that, you know, makes me think and, and really returns me to just that idea that like those people who want to cut funding, uh, who want to see schools be totally privatized or not don't care about what happens for people who can't afford private schools, um, they're always on the offensive. They're always actively working to try and make that happen. And like you said, it's not like like the teachers' union is the last line of defense. It all—it really seems more like the only line of defense. So, but at that same time, or by that same token, like it, obviously, you saw that there wasn't enough change within the teachers' union or within the school system itself to affect the change you wanted to see. So, is that what was that like to to have that realization and be like, okay, I think I need to run for office in uh, on a local in a local level to see the change in my community that I want to see it, to see that because
2: I feel like you want to get the, uh, you want to get like the whole, the whole, the whole child, right. in a yeah. whole community. So when I looked, when I sat back, I saw this opportunity arise. What, what's in my heart, right. Uh, is education, Small business and housing, um, and I know what um, I know what that could lead to for a community, right? Because it's not just the schools that are suffering, but it's the entire community that is mm-hmm. suffering, right? So I, I honestly feel like Boston could provide affordable housing, not just for rent but also for purchase. Lottery systems, right? if Can you we-
3: elaborate a little bit more on that? Because one of the things we want to do is see if, like you know, these sorts of solutions would apply in other metropolitan areas and you know a lot of just go ahead, what do you mean by lottery systems?
2: so um I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I have an old landlord that I lived with um and how she got her house was she she was a um an, uh, older by the time I met her, she was an older um white lady lived in Massachusetts her whole life um and she had lived in the projects her whole life in in, um, in Massachusetts. And the mayor kicked out all the slumlords. They were abusive people redid their houses and had a lottery system where he gave it to them for an incredibly cheap mortgage with uh, an apartment on top. So they could actually charge rent and afford the houses. And she was able to get that lottery. And if you talk to her today, Bonnie Carroll, she would tell you that changed not only her life took her out of poverty, but all of her kids too.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Right. That housing stability, and then now her, her, she has equity to help her granddaughter go to college, right? She has, uh, you know, equity to get her to pay off her son's student loans, right? Because over time the, the neighborhood has changed and has increased because of that, because of that ability to get those slumlords out and let actual people that love that city and live there actually thrive in that environment, start small businesses, right? <laughs> actually, uh, reinvest back into their neighborhoods because,
0: um, not just be on the month-to-month rent-paycheck right, treadmill right, rent, where you're just right, trying to cover that.
2: Right, right. And so allowing people to build generational wealth. I know, Cyrus, I am a socialist. But we live in yes. a capitalist society, right? So we have to build wealth the way our society is built. And how you yeah. get housing security, how you build. Joel,
3: sorry. I would love you to repeat that for my brother. You don't have to, <laughs> but
2: Oh, Cyrus is a purist.
3: He's like, you know, wants to doesn't want to be a landlord, oh. nothing, man. So,
2: so, I will say this, right? I will say this, um, as a DSA member, as a DSA candidate, that was something that came to me. I'm a landlord, right? And mm. people were like, how can you be a capitalist and a landlord? I'll tell you cuz banking is racist. And they wouldn't let my wife and I buy a $300,000 condo because they said we couldn't afford it, even though the mortgage was less than the rent we were paying at the time. Right. And they were like, well, you gotta get a, a multi-level house and we're gonna only ready we're gonna prove you is if you have
0: rental income, which is actually more well, we than- can't trust you to hold down a job. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right, right, right. Right, right, right. So so when people ask that question, but I, I I my wife has been homeless before and I I never want that to happen for again. How do I stop that from happening by buying a house? Um I want I don't want my kids to ever have that uh that kind of fear. How do I stop that by owning a house, someplace where they can come back and stay and live? And, and build on for their families. So, I you know, I'm trying to plant in this society right now. Do we want society to change over time? Yes. Do we need to go up Can this capitalistic housing society, sustain itself? No. But to say that like when it comes to housing and providing that for families, cause we have to, what I said before, we have to admit that for decades, there was a system that did not let um, black and brown families enter the housing market. We're, I mean, Up until recently, what, uh, 60-something, 50-something, people look like me weren't even allowed in banks. So to right that wrong or to move past that, right, um, we need to be, the city can provide a way. Because, like, we we talk about gentrification and we see people getting gentrified out, getting priced out. People that have lived in Boston for decades are now getting priced out. People that have survived here through the crack epidemic, gang violence, who have built this city. Right. The reason that people want to come here now and invest is because the city that those people created are now getting priced out. Right. And not (laughs) a way to stay. It doesn't make any sense. Right. So they kept things
0: going through the hard times. And then as things get good, they're like, all right, thanks. But so
2: (laughs) (laughs) right. Based on that, the city has a capital to provide not only affordable houses to rent, but affordable for purchase. Right. We've also seen it where you are in Texas. They gave away a lot of land to farmers there in the past in historically in the Midwest yeah. all over. Right. Cause they knew they needed those people can build a life on that land and help us in general. Right. It's a mutualistic kind of relationship. If people can afford and purchase and buy, then it helps the city overall.
3: Yeah. Joel, uh, I think a lot about this. I'd like you to maybe speak on and uh, to the former me and a lot of folks, f- friends and folks like me or the former me's out there that think, well, wait, we've passed the Civil Rights Act now 50 plus years ago. Uh, Racism is largely over. And what you've been doing is speaking to the seemingly like generational impact or the generational collateral damage from some of the sins that are, 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 that we've had to wrestle with. And so can you, and we'll get into a little bit later as well, but um, it seems like you're talking about like fully repenting from some of the things that, we've done before and there are some some practical suggestions that we can do is that sort of what i'm hearing
2: yes but i also feel like this is solid just policy for society in general Mm -hmm. um the people that would say yeah the racism is over because we passed the civil rights act that was just to allow us to vote and allow us to eat where we wanted to and we shouldn't be discriminated against where we buy housing so that was just like that was government totally ended redlining (laughs)
0: Force <laughs> it,
2: it, it did it right because no longer what it did was then create another system where you don't need to be overtly racism to then oppress. Um, you could come in and say, "What? Oh, it's up to my discretion if I want to uh, give a loan to this person, right? It's up to my discretion if I want to allow this person to move into my neighborhood or show them these houses when I'm a realtor, right?" Um, so there's a lot of systemic and societal issues that we're dealing with there. And anyone who would say we, we passed Civil Rights Bill 50 years ago, it wasn't until the year I was born when the White House started paying equal pay to Black and white workers, right? And we so like, if the White House has got there in 83, what are we thinking about all of the other companies that went on from, from there? So, you know, my father went to work uh, in America probably like 72, 74, and he was probably paid an eighth of what all of his other white counterparts were right? And so to build a life on that. So we could talk about, you know, reparations or uh, a repentance process, but how about we just make solid policy that helps not just right these wrongs, but helps future generations not go to the same cycle that was caused by systemic racism?
3: Yeah, it's, uh, I appreciate that. You know, I just thought of an example I've actually lived through. I was buying, looking to buy a house or a condo. That's what I bought in, in Hawaii. And I guess I really experienced the opposite of like what redlining would be to my favor. Uh, My realtors who were uh, local Hawaiians basically uh, were taking me, showing me around. And I had a couple addresses of investments I thought would be really good opportunities. And I, you know, and we were looking on maps, and they go, oh, no, 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 we're not going that one. And and I was really keen on it, but why not? And they do just squared with me. He's like, listen, not with your skin color, dude. And it was, he was almost doing it to protect me from a bad neighborhood. And And then, you know, because they know that if they bring in folks like that, those types of people are going to experience like probably some sort of racism. So now he geared, he steered me towards other great economic investments, but I can only imagine what it would be like on the opposite shoe where I could only buy in economic declining areas. Like it would blow it anyway, that that, just an example.
2: Or or the fact that um, Chase, you could go to an area and your skin color automatically makes it more um, palatable to a, uh, uh, to a banker. Yeah. If you and five. When you had to
3: apply for loans in person. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 Or, or they know, they know by zip code. (laughs) Um, I've tried to, and they also send an appraiser and a realtor. They know, they know I went to, I can tell you about, I've tried to refinance and I'm a pray, pray for me, uh, chase that I, that I don't, I don't know. We we'll have to talk about that. I think I'm entitled to, but I probably won't. If I just if you see me beating up a middle aged white man is because he's the <laughs> appraiser who came to my house and just gave me two hundred and fifty thousand less than everyone told me it was worth. Uh, wow. And I made him give me the comps, and it was just other rundown places in my neighborhood. Um, there's condos going for what he rated my house at. Uh, and. And then once I even worked through that process and I complained, the bank manager, the bank president said that I'm at high risk for um, forbearance. And if I forbear, they'd have to repay the loan because they're guaranteeing. And what, how is that based? I kept asking, what is that based on? All the guy who was working with me could say is, I don't know. I've never heard that before. Um, I've never heard him say that before. And he just said, he just apologized. And then he went on and said, like, you know, what? I'll cover all the costs that you were supposed to cover and I'll just take it and we'll, the bank will eat that. And that just showed me right there what he was really trying to say. I, I didn't tell them I was black, um, yeah, but they yeah. figured it out. And so and then the appraiser came. Uh, so and Do I mean, Google it,
0: search of your name, you'll, you'll find out. I,
2: I guess I guess <laughs> but I, I, I'll say to that anyone who says those issues are, are done or that they're still alive. Anymore. And there's been a lot – now that a lot more people are trying to refinance because of the, the low interest rate, these stories are coming out monthly in the paper. Uh, next time I – hopefully this doesn't go out to the ah, – he wouldn't watch this. He's a racist. He's a client member. But the next, time, <laughs> <laughs> the next time I do an appraisal, I, have a, I go to CrossFit. I, there's a couple at the gym. They already said they'll do it for me. She's a hedge fund manager. He's a chef. I was like, they could, be, they could stand in. I'll take down all my pictures gladly for a refinance and to build generational wealth. There is no way I'm going to be here for that appraisal. Quick
3: insertion here question. <laughs> you admitted you're a CrossFitter, God bless you. Um, <laughs> that carries with it a negative stigma.
0: <laughs> I, I feel I feel comfortable admitting my secret shame now. I, I too do that. So wow. now that he, you're he said
3: it, sires, because he goes to a yeah, pretty intense gym yeah. where like they compete. So
2: <laughs> I was people say my gym is rare. It's like it's nice. Like people work out really hard. Um owners are really good guys. Uh yeah. I like my gym a lot.
0: Yeah. I was just happy to find a gym that didn't have a blue lives matter flag. So um, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's good. Um, <laughs> There's a lot blue there. People, yeah. Um, blue people don't exist, but I understand what you're saying. Joel. Yeah. <laughs> before
3: we get into um, small business. Cause I want to get into that a little bit. Let's close out the CrossFit point. Do you have – I feel like everyone's got a type of exercise in CrossFit that they're like – that's their kind of thing. Like you might crush burpees or you might crush pull-ups or something. Do you have any of that for you? Like if you were going to do your favorite workout, what would it be?
2: It's the dumbbell snatch. I can throw that and I can transfer in the air. That's like oh, my dude. one time to shine. Yeah. <laughs> did you do uh,
0: Did kid. you do 20.2 the, or 21.2 the other day? I
2: was going to, but I got my second COVID shot. And my uh, okay. arm
0: was shot. I was like, "Man,
2: uh, my one time to shine!" And I can't. Yeah, it's the dumbbells. Uh, match <laughs> <was> like every <laughs> other open workout is terrible for me. It's, it's yeah. like terrible, but I love it because I don't have to think. I usually only reason not even know what the exercise was or twenty point two is because they, they put us all in intramural teams and they told mm-hmm. me. I would have just showed up and just sucked at it if they didn't tell me. Like I don't. I never <laughs> look at the workout beforehand.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That's. Uh...
2: It's like a spiritual discipline. I take it as like, you know what? Beat my flesh into submission, right? Like, you know, like, I just take it it as like, I don't have to think about it. I go in, I read the board. They tell me what to do. Yeah, I'm I'm not, like, I'm one of those people who gain weight really easy, so I need a higher amount of cardio. Yeah, man. So I get it, especially COVID. I put on, like, man, I put on serious weight. When they opened back up, they started doing stuff outside. I was like the first one there. I was like, no. I can't live like this. I'm going to be 400 pounds. <laughs> before
3: um, we have a kinship then. Yeah. We yeah, definitely yeah. know what it's like to, yeah. uh, yeah. need to work out before you, I, I woke up early to work out before Waffle House this
0: morning. Put it that there way.
2: There you go. There you go. Praise the Lord. Praise um, the Lord. Get that's up. Right. Sorry. Okay, so, don't feel ashamed. They need, people need to know there's more sane people like us who do CrossFit. Yeah, fair that's,
0: that's true. true. Mm-hmm. Spread the word. Spread the and word. they got rid of
2: their um, racist the CEO. They forced him out. I feel like they, they should be lauded.
0: They did a lot of stuff. That's that's true. They they acted fast on that one, which made me feel a, a, li- a little bit better about the whole the whole thing. Good. Um, well, let me get into
3: small business though here. Um, if that's cool, just because I've been it's itching on me now. Uh, Joel, from the outside, being a socialist and being an advocate of small business doesn't seem like it's possible. From the like, wait a second, a lot of socialist policies would probably hurt. Uh, small businesses because they would really help workers. Now this is like me coming at it from a, yeah, an ignorant perspective. It's can you clear it up for me? And how how do you how do you be pro s- small business and pro worker and or a socialist?
2: Yeah, I feel like well, I see small business as a way for communities to reinvest in themselves. When uh, especially for immigrant uh, immigrant families. Right. When a when a worker, when a working class person or someone from a neighborhood takes that step out, it says, I'm going to start a business. I have something I love to do a craft or I see a need in the community there. What they're doing is they're they're inviting community dollars to come to them. Right. And, and 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 then reinvest that back in the community. We've all seen these major corporations survive in neighborhoods. they just abject poverty. Right. Um, like Family Dollar does not need a neighborhood to be successful for it to be successful. Neither does McDonald's, right? But a small business does, right? So in my yeah. context of a, of a of a of a of a socialist of a Christian, we need to, we need a community that reinvests in themselves. We need a community that builds up themselves, right? Mm-hmm. You you rarely like when you walk into a small business, they have like the baseball jerseys that they bought for the little league team. The the mm-hmm. uh, you know like they're a part of the community. Right. Like I feel like there's a small restaurant slash bar up the street where I probably it's an Irish place, too. I've had like two gender reveals there, two birthday parties for myself there. Like it's a it's an establishment that I, I, I would um, we visit frequently. And so when when I see that, that is a that is a that is a way that a community thrives. Right. And then when I see government. Right. And when we talk about Boston specifically, like the beautiful downtown and the gardens and everything people come here to visit was built off the backs of the tax revenue of the small businesses in the neighborhoods they don't want to even want to visit or you would come here and they tell you not to go to but they collect right. those taxes and build these amazing buildings
0: and amazing infrastructures downtown right um, Whether they do nothing to improve or even when there's a big snowstorm i've seen pictures in boston of Six feet piled up on Boston suburb or, or you know neighborhoods and obviously downtown's cleared. You know. Right, downtown's
2: clear. They take care of those businesses, right? So when when I see that, especially you know what I, I saw, COVID really opened my eyes to this even too. When the tax revenue dollar started going down, the city of Boston was investing in small businesses like crazy, helping them get outside patios businesses that never had outside seating before, they were investing money into them to have outside patio. They were blocking off. You're the
3: city parking. gave grants or like yeah. uh, loans for like increased oh, commercial activity for small businesses.
2: Yes. yes, was changing regulations, allowing them to deliver deliver liquor, something that people said would never happen in Boston, because it's a Puritan city, right? They were when that tax revenue from these small businesses in areas that they usually don't take care of started going down, all of a sudden they started investing. All of a sudden they started helping them which shows me that Boston has the ability to do that. It shows me a lot of cities have the ability to do that. Um, so when I see that, I see that as a reinvestment back into the community. That's how I see small business, especially local small businesses started up by people and by the community. Now, when it comes to socialists, I see this as a collective, right? There's a, there should be a lot more collective businesses or worker-ran businesses, right? With help from the government, right? Sometimes there's workers who want to cook want to make something they might not know how to run a business or be able to afford a business but we can ha- we can help them right as a city um and there's a lot of empty storefronts in boston right why not move those those collective business out of their houses into those spaces right i even have a wild idea about liquor stores that they should they shouldn't just be a pure liquor store anymore they should actually have another business in there and help them thrive to actually reinvest back into the communities, which most of them cause a lot of alcoholism. in that's a whole nother subject. Of right. A Christian and socialist, Yeah. Like I feel right. like when you, when you walk around as a Christian and socialist, you should to see ways to help your communities reinvest back into themselves. That's I, interesting. Like,
3: so, so I just hear you so far saying um, being a socialist isn't just anti capitalism. It's it's really more to you pro community pro humans in that community. Is that right?
2: Yes. And I feel like it's the same way with Christianity. Christianity isn't anti anything right? what is It's pro-love, it's pro-Jesus, right? It's, uh, it's, these, it's these things. If you're a, a radical Christian, it should cause you to radical love, radical charity, radical, um, radical putting yourself in the background, radical humility. It should cause you to those things. And if you're a radical socialist, it should, it should cause you to be radical about community, about reinvesting in the community, about uplifting it, about a good education, right? Which is one of the benchmarks of socialism is a great education, right? The belief is if you're not well-educated, You 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 can't be a it's it's hard to be a um, a contributing member of society, right? Um, So that's those are the things. If you're not reading and yeah, so I I just
3: (laughs) appreciate that. You know, me thinking through uh, my finance background and you know thinking about the retained earnings going to a public multinational corporation um, run by a board of directors who are have different offices and services and products from all over the country. They're not. Always re, they're not thinking about reinvesting it into the local communities. However, the Irish pub or the laundromat or the whatever, those owners with those retained earnings are reinvesting it in the little league for jerseys, like you said, or for something like that. And that's just a different
0: kind of commerce. This kind of gets back to a, a piece of the conversation we had with Russ, which when we we're talking about, you know, the feasibility of socialism and what might need to change to allow that type of movement to take root in this country. You know, he, he talked a lot about structures um, that, that get people out of their sort of individualistic mindset, their ego driven mindset and into a community, uh, uh, the, the the realization that we're part of a community. And so as a socialist, I think, you know, I definitely think those are, those are good, um, good things to get, get started. A lot
3: of things Russ said a month ago are still percolating. One of the things you just said, I just, would love to hear more from socialists because at least the rap is they're anti-capitalists, they're anti-producers, they're anti the entrepreneur who really has worked hard, put the risk out with the sweat equity. And now they want to like force distributionalism to folks who aren't going to work very hard. And so it's almost, I, I get a, I get a pitch of anti-capitalism, not as much what you just said, which I really liked, which was uh, pro community pro activity pro work just in, in a different way Cyrus is that is that did I come out clear
0: yeah definitely and just uh just to build on that a little bit you know talking about as you mentioned worker-owned businesses um co-ops those types of things or even just connecting people in a community with capital who has the ability to invest in those things like you know workers and boss or bosses always love to talk about like, Oh, I wish my employees would like take ownership over their work. And it's like, okay, well, if you want them to do that, then give them ownership yeah. over yeah. their work. <laughs> like they ha- they have to actually have a stake in it. And, <laughs> yeah. and that's kind of what people mean by these worker owned businesses, or that's my conception of it at least.
2: Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, I don't The best way to say it is kind of like, if you want a community to be successful, someone has to invest in it and and to ask the community to do it themselves, but they already have, right? When they went to work, they paid taxes. When they bought something, they paid taxes, right? Um, It's like this myth where like poor people don't pay taxes, but they buy things. So they pay sales tax every time they go and do something. Or um, when these small businesses are asking for more capital and more help, they're like, why do you have your hand out? Like, well, I'm, I'm building up your city, right? Every sale that I do, every time I sweep the streets in front of my house, right? Every time I upkeep this community with my, uh, with my business, I am investing. So I need you to invest in me so I can continue to do that, right? Um, to say, like some people point socialism as anti-capitalism, but I feel like it's more anti the mindset that you described, uh, Chase of like oh i need everything for myself or i don't want to i don't want to invest back into the community like when you said these when you invest in these corporations right they're not they're not thinking like oh let me invest back in but they're outside that it's anti that mindset where i don't have to invest back in there's more the belief that no it goes back to that notion before i was talking about no one got here on their own right like it wasn't just hard work there were streets that provided for your business there was a laws and infrastructure that allowed your business to be successful so you should reinvest back into that reinvest back into those things
3: now this might be a really good opportunity to transition to uh what we believe and some points of the sermon you gave at mosaic which i really appreciated and uh, i think will challenge some people but one question i think to really key us up for all that uh, we spoke with jason yates the ceo of my faith votes who is definitely his mission get more Christians to vote. It's a little right-leaning, but he's given platforms to folks on the left. Uh, but he spoke of something when we when I asked him and we started talking about socialism and Christianity, he talked about an abdication of responsibility on multiple levels, where the family gives up the moral responsibility of raising children, sometimes to the church or to the school. And the church gives up the responsibility of taking care of the homeless or taking care of uh, folks in the community. And maybe the school does as well to uh, businesses or to the government and he thought socialism was a uh sort of formalization of that push towards the government and and, uh, that's really something i haven't undone in my mind because to me that kind of makes sense is that something you could speak to and undo
2: yeah i would 100% disagree um if it's like saying if you send a child to school you expect them to get educated right and I said, "Why are you pushing that responsibility on me? You teach them how to read right like there is no <laughs> <laughs> like everything has their role in society, right? And if we want our government to be the role of providing basic needs for us or basic human rights for us, then that is the role that we've decided as a society it does not it does not take away any responsibility um i like I feel like I feel like some people think socialism is not about work, but it's usually like labor and union parties that tend to go towards socialism. So these are all workers, right? These are worker rights, right? Like even before you asked about like worker rights um, against small business, but I don't, I don't feel like, I feel like small businesses on average pay more than, than big chains, right? Because they value their workers more. They just can't ship them out. Right as quickly they want someone yeah. who's established in there because it makes mm-hmm. it makes that small business owner's life better. I'll pay you 15 dollars an hour as long as I have to come in every day and I can rely on you and you're protecting my livelihood. Right, you don't so have to you, train
0: someone else, figure out someone else to rely on. You know, keeping it all in
2: house. Right, McDonald's doesn't care. Leave. I'll I'll train someone else. I'll have someone else come in. Right, and so there, there is. I don't feel like there's any there's any push to just have everyone just not work or just sit at home. And I don't feel like there's any push for like for families to not exist. I feel like that's like a like almost like fear mongering. But I also feel like you know it goes back to like, would you ever study like James two, right? Okay. Um, right. Like if you go there, you don't provide for someone's physical needs. What is that, right? Just pray for them and go tell them to be warm, right? And how can a government operate like that? How can government tell you just go get a job and not provide them? Go do this and not and not provide them, right? Or if you even go back. So like, the church should care for the poor, but does that mean always feeding them or does that mean changing policy in our governments that makes it better to have or makes less poor people, right? Or is is that say like, oh, does the church have to build homes or could the church be like, hey, we have a society with a plethora of wealth. Why doesn't that society build homes for these people, right? And then give them a mortgage, right? They have to work to pay that mortgage. They have to work to keep that house going i i I feel like there's a belief that there's there's a group of just incredibly lazy people in this in the world that just don't want to work. There might be those people I don't know them very much. I don't know very many actually I don't know any of them right I feel like most people just want to get up and go to work and be able to come home and just and be able to live their lives and raise kids and have children and have families right people don't even want to have those things but they they want to go to work and they want to provide for themselves right I feel like uh um, I feel like the one thing that I feel like I know everyone wants and everyone
0: needs is compassion. And I feel like that's where socialism leads you. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Like most people spend 40 hours a week worrying about their survival and their family's survival. And if, if they're precarious all the time, you're asking them to spend a hundred percent of their time worrying (laughs) about their family's survival. And that's, That's no place anyone wants to be, I think. Well, I want to do two things
3: with that, uh, Joel. One, I want to agree with you, and one I want to clarify with you. And I read this verse. It was really, uh, the Lord jumped it off the page to me just a few weeks ago um, because I think there's a lot of discussion about uh, with the Equality Act and everything else, and I'll just read the verse. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. This is Ezekiel 16, uh, Mm. verse 49, and going. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty or arrogant and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them, as you have seen. And that was a bit of a paradigm shift for me. It didn't sort of take away from the detestable acts that, that they were doing, but they, they were called out for their pride and for their um, not sharing uh, the food and this comfortable security that they had. The lack of so, charity, yeah. The, the lack of charity. So I see that. I want to clarify Jason's concern that particularly with the church government, uh, if we formalize the role of taking care of the poor, for instance, to the government, what's the role of the church? It's almost like, do we do we spay or neuter the church in, in, in a way like that? How do we empower these bodies of believers in these churches you've gone to to do that better? Is that part of the solution at all?
2: Yeah. And I feel like you talked about Mosaic and I will say that's one of the most unnerving like to go in front of people you don't know and give a sermon like that, like, Hey man, church isn't doing enough. <laughs> is, uh, was, was, I was very nervous, uh, but luckily it was, uh, but thank the Lord. It was well received. Um, oh, wow, really? Yeah. Uh, okay.
3: So just as a quick, quick intro here. So I watched this uh, sermon from Joel giving a guest lecture or guest um, sermon at Mosaic in Boston and uh, guys, the pastor is white. So I don't know what the congregation looks like. It's in COVID. So there's a lot of them are folks and they're singing the same kind of worship. I uh, had a predominantly white church. Um, I go to, you know, multi-ethnic one now, but you know, basically the same songs you're hearing on Christian radio. And the two things I pulled out of that sermon, Joel was that we needed to test ourselves in ministry. And I think that meant three things from what you said. One, be truly repentant
1: mm-hmm.
3: two, uh, be humble as Christ is humble and receive God's humility. And three err on the side of uh, generosity. And that gives us certain freedoms. So firstly, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Like what, what testing yourself in ministry means and how that kind of plays into uh, your whole worldview. So like testing yourself in ministry, I feel like when
2: I, first of all, I don't pick my sermons. I literally go to the lectionary, which is just date by date scriptures for every Sunday to preach on. Mm. So I didn't pick Jonah three and four. That was there when I went to the date that I was going to preach uh, in the lectionary and that, I was like, oh, I thought it was going to be easier for us. I was like, I can talk about the
1: whale. Yeah. Was like,
2: <laughs> Jonah was a racist. Oh, I'm going to a white church. I have to tell them about racism. Lord, you're not.
0: <laughs> 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 right here?
2: That's not Dang. Fair, Forgot not about fair. that
0: part. <laughs> <laughs> they don't um, mention that part in Sunday school. Right.
2: But if you had talked to Jonah before he left, before God asked him to go talk to a group of people that he hated, he would have thought he wasn't his heart was good. He would have thought he was okay. He would have thought like, God is, is pleased with all my actions in my heart. So if you're not out actively in ministry, actively interacting with people that aren't like you, that are, you aren't discipling people that don't come from your same background, you're not testing yourself. You're pro- your heart is probably not where you think, right? It's easy for a country, like, you know, like other countries look at America and be like, oh, well, we don't have this race problem. Yeah, because all of you look the same. Right. But if we dig deep, we'll find class problems. We'll find, you know, we'll find other issues. Right. But our issues are right in front of us because we're trying to do this out in the open. Mm. Right. And so a truly like you said, a truly repentant heart is always testing itself. Well, uh, what does David say? Test the old Lord. All right. Yeah. Take
3: those things. Right. And so that's me. And, and, and yeah, know my heart. Right.
2: Right. Right. If you, if, and that's that's a blessing right? You want to go out there and you, and you want to be tested. You want to know what your limits are. Cyrus is just like a CrossFit. You want to go out there sometimes and push it, right? See, Oh, okay. I know I'm getting better. I know that, yeah. um, that, uh, I'm excelling or I'm, I'm putting in the work, you know?
0: Okay. I okay. if it's because I'm a masochist, but it, I definitely, I was thinking about this the other day in, with <laughs> regard to CrossFit. It is a spiritual discipline in a way because you're relinquishing control, you're doing something that you probably otherwise would not choose to do oh, on your own. No. And you just have to suffer through yeah. it. <laughs> Why am I lifting this, this way? Why am I doing Yeah. It? yeah. yeah like I can't breathe right now. <laughs> I, I feel lightheaded. I don't yeah, feel yeah. good. Yeah. And then it's over. And you so, feel like there's some work been done. Yes. Sorry. I'm uh, just
3: interested in, one in CrossFit, but to the sermon that he gave and we'll link it up for you guys. Um, and you said that testing yourself in ministry saves us from any kind of deceit or trappings of nationalism of, or our culture or making some of those idols. Yes. That's particularly personal to me because I know I've made um, just American freedom and my civil liberties and, or my ability to pursue prosperity uh, or the American flag uh, or our history, an idol. And that where I get identity from that, I get meaning from that. And, um, and one of the things that you said in the sermon I want to share really caught me because it certainly st- struck me and I would have v- violently like angrily disagreed with you in the <laughs> past. And it's, and, and it's, and it's got me on like, I'm on a fence right now with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and here it is. If you think America is great, you are an unrepentant Ninevite and God will destroy you in the end. And if you're a Christian who is not willing to put yourself out there, to stand up for the oppressed then you're a jonah a hard-hearted christian whose whole ministry is skewed uh, to culture instead of the god who saves you so well first of all boom (laughs) second can you elaborate on that a little bit so i was very nervous
2: to say that and i did that that uh yeah. It's yeah. a bold Once statement. I love yeah, that. Yeah. And, and when did you give out. this sermon? Dang, Sorry. I'm fired up. Oof, I gave it a couple months, like maybe two months ago, maybe a month and a half ago. Uh, okay. And also the heater was broken when you watch that sermon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can almost see your breath. Yeah. And I, I tried before I was telling everyone, I was like, you're not here, but the heater is broken. If you see smoke coming out of my mouth, it's not. um
3: it's an exorcism. Not, yeah, yeah not it's not an exorcism.
2: It's not like <laughs> that. It's just <laughs> it is cold. And I just did feel bright in doing this in a winter coat, you know? It's not a rap concert. Sure. But why um, when unpacking the scripture, unpacking everything? Um, Jonah wasn't sent there to bring those people to Christ, actually, or to make them worship God. They never actually did. They just said we're gonna stop oppressing people. Um, because God, first of all, he hates empires. Because I said this in the sermon: empires, people don't build up. It, the greatest predator in the world, right, animal wise, does not go after other predators or other strong animals, right? Lions, tigers, they usually go after what the sick, or the old, or the young.
3: Yeah, they pick off one from the you know a weakling.
2: And so that's what empires do. And and the Ninevites that he was going to. That's what they were. They were powerful Neo. The, they were the precursor to the Assyrian empire that we know now, the Neo Assyrians. And they, they were oppressing, right? And Jonah literally went there and said, hey, if you don't stop, God's going to destroy you. And that's true because God hates oppression, right? And we live in a society where if there's, a, there's way too many poor people. There's way too many schools that are just terrible, right? And if you think that this is the greatest society that ever existed, and you're just satisfied with it and you're fighting to to keep the status quo, you're fighting to keep oppression going. These are things that we know. We know systemic racism is real. We know that um, housing is racist. We know that we have a problem in our justice system. We know we have way too many homeless people on the street or way too many people that are getting evicted right now during COVID. And if you think this is great, your your heart doesn't hurt or mourn for this, then you're just participating in upholding oppression in that way.
0: Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as Chase and I enjoyed uh, conducting it. Um, the uh, second half is a lot more, uh, you know, getting into some some heavy-hitting questions, although hearing Joel's testimony was was really affecting, gave Chase and I both quite a bit to think about. If you want to learn more about Joel and his campaign, you can go to more4d4.com. That's M-O-R-E-F-O-R-D and the number 4.com. You uh, can sign up to phone bank, just check out his message or, you know, even just give a dollar if you want to, you know, keep up with this campaign. Uh, You know, that'll be able to, uh, you know, check in on a Christian brother and a socialist brother, depending on where your uh, proclivities lie. So uh, please uh, support him if you can. And we'll put all that in the show notes so that you can access his page and his uh, social media um, and follow uh, up with his campaign. So look out for that. And we uh, look forward to showing you the rest of this interview President later Trump. in the week. So, born, until then, this has been Cross of Gold, and
1: look died. forward to
0: talking to you then. But
1: principles are eternal, and this has been a contest over a principle. In this contest, brother has been arrayed against brother, father against son. It is for these that we speak. We do not come as aggressors. Our war is not a war of conquest. We are fighting in defense of our homes, our families, and prosperity.
0: This has been Cross of Gold. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'd like to thank Sant Invictus for producing our intro and outro songs. And uh, look forward to seeing you next time.